Hey guys, welcome to episode 4 the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud Podcast Book 3. Today we'll be reading chapter 4, but first a recap of chapter 3. The children had a pretty uneventful winter together. We found out an astonishing fact that Sticky has read three-sevenths of the entire house's books, according to his accurate counting. Constance tried to get out of her school lessons and successfully did by accident of Miss Permel, her instructor that day, mentioning sugar. During lunch, Mr. Benedict expressed his deepest regret for the whole Mr. Curtin business, which everyone else, especially number two, did not agree with. Mr. Benedict would like the children for a special experiment. Milligan has returned home. Mr. Benedict said he had some visitors coming over that he's meeting in his study, and we left off with Kate, Sticky, and Rennie going to eavesdrop on his conversation. Chapter 4. Through the Listening Glass Having passed through the curtain of dangling wires, Rennie discovered that he could stand upright in the space between walls. It was narrow with scarcely room to turn his head, but by edging sideways as if shuffling along a ledge, he was able to move without bumping the walls. Once or twice, Kate directed her flashlight at the floor, drawing his attention to a spot of uneven flooring. Each time, Rennie swiveled his eyes toward Sticky to be sure he had noticed, too. Then he nodded to Kate, and silently they moved on. In this way, they soon arrived at the wall of Mr. Benedict's study, beyond which they could hear the muffled tones of conversation. Every so quietly and carefully, they raised their water glasses and pressed them to the wall. Rennie heard Number Two's agitated voice as if from the bottom of a well. Unannounced? If not for Milligan... Her words grew indistinct. Rennie pressed his ear to the glass so hard it hurt. The whole point being to catch you off guard? No, they want... Mr. Benedict's muted voice came in. I know, number two, but at least we've had the experience of observing their methods. It's instructive, don't you think? A forceful knock sounded at the door. Through the listening glasses, the banging came like a series of detonations. Rennie jumped, almost dropping his glass, and Kate, using her opposite ear and thus facing him, wrinkled her nose. One moment, please, called Mr. Benedict, and then in a lower tone, barely audible to the eavesdroppers, he said, Number two, you and Milligan had better escort Mr. Bain back down to his post. We don't want... Why, hello! This in a louder, cheerful tone, as the door was rudely opened. Yes, please, do come straight in. Take these two chairs. Just brush away the crumbs there. Number two is enjoying a biscuit. Perhaps you care for something yourselves? No? A few more pleasantries on the part of Mr. Benedict, a tense and hushed exchange the eavesdroppers couldn't make out, and the study door closed. Mr. Benedict and Rhonda had been left alone with the two visitors. One of them, Rennie, had deducted to be Miss Argent, a highly placed official who often went with Mr. Benedict, and who was always present when the captured executives were brought to the house for questioning. She was a key figure in the cases involving Mr. Curtin, and Rennie could easily picture her silver hair and pinch figures. The other visitor had been introduced as Mr. Covet S. Gaines, a man whose deep, gravelly voice, as perceived through a listening glass, sounded like the rumblings of a tiger. "'Let us cut to the chase,' rumbled Mr. Gaines, when the door had closed. "'Certainly,' said Mr. Benedict. "'And who is to be chasing whom?' "'What? Is that a joke?' "'Perhaps not a very funny one. Please continue.' "'Very well. Now let's see. You've thrown me off my track.' I believe you are about to inform me that you are the head of a new committee assembled to deal with matters concerning the Whisperer, and that has set you a few questions for me. How the devil did you know that? Miss Argent said. He knows often things, Mr. Gaines. The best course is not to grow exercised. The iciness in Mr. Gaines' tone was not lost even through the wall. I thank you for recommending the best course, Miss Argent. Perhaps you would lead the way, seeing as you know it so well. 
Miss Argent cleared her throat. We're here to clarify certain things in Mister Gaines's mind. Before you make your final decisions, you mean," said Mister Benedict. No one said anything about decisions," growled Mister Gaines. Right now, we're talking about facts, and I want all of them. I need to know how this whisperer works. What powers it? What is the connection to you? Everything. Start at the beginning, Benedict. I assume I know nothing. That won't be difficult," said Mister Benedict. And Rhonda's spurt of laughter was surprisingly clear. She must have been standing next to the wall. But she insistently disguised it as a coughing fit as Mister Benedict passed on. I mean to say, it won't be difficult to give you the facts. It's everything else that I seem to have trouble conveying. Please, said Miss Argent, just answer Mister Gaines' questions. Mister Benedict proceeded to relate the facts. The whisperer, he said, was powered by the tidal turbines his brother had invented and installed in Stonetown Bay. Due to their remarkable design, these turbines were capable of generating enormous energy. A mere fraction of which had once powered Mr. Curtin's institute, but which currently remained unused to save for energy they transmitted to the whisperer. Transmit, interjected Mr. Gaines. How with cables, wires? Speak plainly, Benedict. Forgive me, said Mr. Benedict, and then making liberal use of such terms as electrical resistance and electromagnetic induction and receiver coils, along with a great many terms that only Sticky of all the eavesdroppers even faintly recognized. He explained that the energy was transmitted invisibly, without cables or wires. Is that plain enough, Mister Gaines? Er, yes, quite. Mister Gaines replied after an uncertain silence. Please continue. The whisperer continued, Mister Benedict was modeled after my own brother's brain and was once responsive only to his mental di- direction. Given the similarities of our brains, I trust you're aware that Lothadra and I are identical twins. I've managed to induce the whisperer with certain modifications to respond to my own directions as well, but of course you will be familiar with all this from the case files. Rennie felt a tickle at the end of his nose. A spider had descended by a strand of web and settled lightly upon him. In the ambient glow from Kate's flashlight, he could just make out the spider's doubled image, doubled because his eyes were crossed. And somehow resisting the urge to thrash about in panic, he moved his hand slowly and deliberately brushed away. Of the original functions still in place, Mister Benedict was saying, when Rennie was able to concentrate again, along with other modifications that have allowed me to aid its victims in recovering their memories. So, as you can see, if the whisperer were to fall in my brother's hands again, he would be an immediate threat. Not only could he suppress memories as he had done before the devastating effect, he could retrieve them as well. You mean he could obtain key information from what Mister Gaines? Sensitive information? Precisely. Passwords, codes, any bit of classified material a person might possess, he could have it all at his disposal. We would only need to be within range. Miss Argent asked, "And how far exactly would that range extend, Mister Benedict?" It is not so much a question of distance as it is focus. Lothadra could use the whisper on anyone if in his presence, any person toward whom he could direct his full attention. Mister Gaines said. So if I were standing, say, in the courtyard outside the house, and he was looking down at me from a window, you would be in range, yes. And he could, what do you call it, brain sweep me? Mister Gaines said. He could wipe away my memories or extract my memories for his own purposes, essentially read my mind. Yes. And if there were a whole crowd of people in that courtyard, in theory, they would all be at risk," said Mister Benedict. Though in reality, perhaps not. The whisperer responds only to very specific, very powerful mental direction, and the concentration required to use it is exhausting. My brother has a fierce mind and could certainly do a great deal of damage, but he is human after all. He would need to rest. You keep saying your brother," said Mister Gaines slowly. 
But what about you, Benedict? The whisperer responds to your mental direction, too. So couldn't, in theory, I mean, couldn't you do all these things you've just mentioned? In theory, yes. But he wouldn't, Rhonda cried. Mr. Gaines' demanding tone had become conciliatory now, almost integrating. Oh, no, I never meant to imply Mr. Benedict would use the whisperer for the wrong reasons. But if it were for a higher purpose, I mean, for the good. Take, for example, these captured former executives. Your questioning of them has produced no useful information. On the contrary, said Mr. Benedict, I have found it helpful indeed. No offense, but the committee has deemed that information useless, said Mr. Gaines. Psychological motives and personal full beliefs aren't exactly facts, you know. Or perhaps you don't. Well, let's not argue, Benedict. The point is, with the whisperer, you could find out more definite things, could you not? Secret information that would lead us to your brother? I doubt it, said Mr. Benedict. Lathandra has never trusted even his closest assistants to keep his most guarded secrets. He chooses instead to spread information around selectively and to season it with red herrings. By red herrings, I mean false leads. I know what a red... I may have misinterpreted your look of confusion, Mr. Benedict said quickly. Perhaps you simply don't understand my position. So let me be clear. I will not use a whisperer on anyone. Anyone, Mr. Gaines, against that person's will. It is an intrusion, a violation. One's mind is one most valuable private possession. I will no sooner break into your memories, Mr. Gaines, than I would break into your home. We're not talking about me, persisted Mr. Gaines. We're talking about criminals, Benedict. Listen, I can understand your hesitation with these executives. I've read your arguments about how they were captured as children and raised under Curtin's influence, how there should therefore be some lenience, even forgiveness, and so on. But leaving them aside, I don't see how you could refuse to probe the minds of these wicked fellows who work for these Curtin, what do you call them, these elegant thugs your man Milligan has brought in? The agents call them ten men, said Miss Argent, because they have ten different ways to hurt you. Right, these unsavory ten men. Nothing they've said has helped us get one step closer to your brother. In point of fact, they've hardly said anything at all. Nor will they, said Mr. Benedict, not so long as they perceive any chance of or gaining power. So you admit it. You admit your brother may yet be seeking a way to gain power, but you won't use the whisperer on these vicious... Tell me, Mr. Gaines, have you ever spoken with Milligan about the years of crushing sadness he has endured because of the whisperer's effects, or the mental anguish he experienced while trying to resist being brain-swept in the first place? I don't need to speak to Milligan about it. He is a different case entirely. In this case, couldn't you? I have nothing further to say on this matter, Mr. Gaines. There was a long pause during which the eavesdropper strove to keep still and quiet. Stiggy was especially tormented. His natural fidginess was at its peak in moments like this. But the others were struggling, too. And Kate, the reminder of those lonely years she and Milligan had lived apart, had stoked an old, low-burning anger. And she felt like running, jumping, climbing, fighting, anything to work off the emotion. And Rennie, as he did often when his mind was racing, felt a powerful urge to pace. Instead, the three of them stood frozen, ears to their listening glasses, waiting. At length, Miss Arjun broke the silence, and attended a voice as if she herself didn't like much what she was about to say. She said, "'What about your new side project, Mr. Benedict? Don't you wish to pursue that work?' "'What new project?' asked Mr. Gaines. "'Why am I just hearing of this?' "'Mr. Benedict believes the whisperer might be used to alleviate the symptoms of his narcolepsy by way of a kind of hypnosis. Is that right, Mr. Benedict? A sort of fooling of the brain's habitual responses to stimuli?' "'I'm impressed, Miss Argent,' said Mr. Benedict in an amiable tone. Rennie imagined him tapping his nose as he often did when someone gave a correct answer. 
You remember perfectly something I never mentioned to you. I'm sorry, I. That's quite all right. I made no real secret of my project, and it does interest me to see how information travels. We're offering you a deal," said Mr. Gaines, having instantly latched on Miss Argent's implied suggestion and making it his own. "You can get rid of your narcolepsy or whatever you call it, and in the meantime, you'll use a whisper as we see fit. That's a fair trade, Benedict. You know it is. I know nothing of the kind. It was not just my own situation I hope to improve, Mr. Gaines, but that of countless people with similar conditions. Since it stands to reason that what works on me might work on others." Regardless, I am not sure my ideas are even practicable. To determine that would require considerable research and experiment. But even if I were sure, Mr. Gaines, we would have no deal, for I simply would not do what you ask of me. I guess you like falling asleep willy-nilly," said Mr. Gaines angrily. "I certainly prefer it to laying aside my mortal concerns." "Very well," said Mr. Gaines, and there was a harsh scraping sound as he rose abruptly from his chair. "You leave us no choice." We're taking the whisperer. There's no longer any justification for you to have it here. You've already restored all the memories that your brother. Not all of them, Mister Benedict corrected. Mister Gaines snorted. Do spare me your pointless distinctions. The captured executives had their chance and refused it. If they don't trust you, what do you expect me to? I wasn't referring to the captured executives. Well, I'm afraid I can't begin to care," Mister Gaines snapped. "Your time is over, Benedict. The whisperer is to be moved, and don't try to argue that you're the only one who can use it. All of our top scientific advertisers are being assembled right here in Stonetown next week to deal with this very matter. That was not the argument I intended to raise," said Mister Benedict calmly. "I'm sure you'll do everything you can to find a way to use the whisperer, and I do worry about the choices you'll make if you succeed. But my more immediate concern is that you'll lose permission of it altogether." If you transport the whisperer, you'll expose it. You make it vulnerable. A weak argument, Benedict. We have our top security people involved. No, I'm getting afraid the greater risk, as the committee seized it, would be to leave such a powerful tool in the hands of someone who refuses to heed our directions. There is growing concern that we cannot trust you any more, Mr. Gaines. Made a disgusted sound. Miss Argent, if you please, stop looking so horrified. He wants us to be frightened. The better to protect his position. Now then, Benedict, should you choose to cooperate, you'll be allowed to supervise the removal of the whisperer and its computers from the premises. We would be welcome your technical input and a good faith effort to put on your part might repair some of your damaged credibility. And if I choose not to cooperate, Mister Benedict said, then you'll be required to remain in your study throughout the removal process. I see," said Mister Benedict. "And when is the removal to take place?" This very evening," said Mister Gaines. "I have the paperwork right. Where? Well, where the devil is it? You've mislaid the papers," Mister Benedict said. "Mister Gaines, you could not take action in my home without proper authorization. I had it right. What's happened, Miss Argent? Did I not have it right here with these other? Forgive us," said Miss Argent. "Obviously, we'll need to find these papers, or else have them run through committee again. If that's the case, it will be some time before we can proceed." Very well, Miss Argent. I thank you," said Mister Benedict. "Now, if you'll excuse us, Rhonda and I must return to work. Milligan is waiting outside the door to show you down." Mister Gaines sputtered indignantly. "I'm not leaving until I've." "Actually, you'll be leaving right now," said Rhonda. Whereupon the study door opened in Milligan's voice, quite cheerful and polite, yet managing at the same time to suggest how unwise it would be to contradict him. Said, "If you'll be so kind to follow me, sir, this is your best opportunity to exit without conflict." 
Please, Mr. Gaines, let's go, said Miss Argent. With a snort and a few muttered protests, Mr. Gaines stalked from the room. Followed by silent Miss Argent, the side door closed. Rhonda, said Mr. Benedict after a pause, when they've gone, please ask Milligan to bring those papers up. We'll want to look them over. Number two should come as well. Of course. But, Mr. Benedict, can it really be that? Before we can continue, Rhonda, I must ask another favor. Would you also fetch Rennie, Sticky, and Kate? Escort them all the way here, please. I want no one to speak with them before I've had a chance to do so myself. Certainly, Rhonda said. I'll tell the others and then go find them. Oh, finding them won't be necessary, said Mr. Benedict, and Rennie heard a tapping sound inches from his ear. They're right behind this wall. The eavesdroppers were feeling grateful, as it was Rhonda who had been sent to escort them. Rhonda's sternness being timbered somewhat by her amusement when they discovered Number 2 and Constance waiting for them outside the study. Both wore expressions of furious disapproval. Eavesdropping, Number 2 hissed, crossing her arms. Without me, Constance said, doing the same. Milligan came along the hallway behind them, playfully tapping Kate on the head with a bundle of papers, he said. This is hardly appropriate behavior, young lady. Spies have rules, you know. Milligan, tell me you aren't making light of this, said Number 2. Absolutely not, said Milligan ambiguously, with a wink at the children. Mr. Benedict opened his door and smiled at the crowd gathered in the hallway. Won't you all come in, or must I stand at the wall with the glass? As everyone got settled, those without chairs sat amid piles of books on the floor. Milligan remained standing near the door, and Number 2 hovered beside Mr. Benedict, who leaned against his book-colored desk. The older children fumbled to explain themselves. Mr. Benedict waved them silent. I haven't called you in here to apologize, he said, though it is rather bad form to eavesdrop on your friends. In the future, you must please bear that in mind. He held up the papers Milligan had given him. This business is what I mean to discuss. What you three heard is far more important at the moment than how you came to hear it. And what was that, Constance demanded? Why am I always the last to know? In this case, said Mr. Benedict, glancing through the papers as he spoke, I believe it is because you were in the kitchen pretending to help clean up. Rennie, would you kindly summarize my conversation with Mr. Gaines and Miss Argent? Milligan and Number 2 need the details as well. In the meantime, Rhonda, please memorize the names on these forms. Milligan and Number 2 will already have done so, and then destroy them. As Rennie sheepishly related to details of the conversation, Rhonda flipped through the papers with a keen eye. She had an excellent memory, almost as good as Stickies, and in a few short minutes it took Rennie to give up his account. She finished her task, shredded the papers, and took a seat on the floor next to Kate. An excellent summary, Rennie, said Mr. Benedict. Thank you. Now, I believe Constance has some questions. But Constance had already butted in, crying. How did you know they were eavesdropping, Mr. Benedict? Why didn't you send them away? It isn't fair. And is this true about using the whisperer to get rid of your narcolepsy? How could they do that? And how dare they think they can take it away from you? Who do they think they are? The little girl, her pudgy cheeks gone quite crimson with the heat of her emotions, seemed unable to decide whether to be envious, outraged, hopeful, or worried, and in her agitation, she wasn't getting answers quickly enough to suit her. Though she hadn't allowed time for Mr. Benedict to respond, she began to repeat her questions from the beginning. Mr. Benedict held up his hands until she felt silent. Let me answer your questions in order, my dear. First, I have used this study for so many years. Any shift in acoustics, I mean the way sound carries is bound to draw my attention. But by the time I realized that the hollow space in the walls behind me was no longer quite so hollow, it was too late to send away the wicked spies. He smiled at the spies in question, without calling Mr. Gaines' attention to their presence. 
that would not do, you see, for it would subject them to all sorts of disagreeable inquiries, and no doubt the Washingtons and Permals would be dragged in as well. As for using the whisperer to diminish the symptoms of my narcolepsy, what I told Mr. Gaines was the truth. It's possible. My hope was to adapt the machine to transmit powerful messages, instructions, essentially, that could redirect certain faulty mental impulses. Whenever my brain, for instance, sent a signal to falsely but inappropriate moments, these new, more powerful instructions would be able to ignore the signal. Basically a form of hypnosis, said Sticky, and Mr. Bennett tapped his nose. And you thought of my work on others as well, Rennie said, not a little wonderingly, for the real potential of Mr. Benedict's project was only now just sinking in. That would mean thousands of people. No, even more than that. Why, millions of people might be helped. Mr. Benedict nodded. You see why I thought it was worth pursuing, even though my chances of success were slim at best. And your nightmares, Constance persisted, the old hag and those other terrible hallucinations? Would it take care of those things as well? Again, it's possible, Mr. Benedict said. Indeed, a great many things were possible. Possible, if not probable. I even entertained some small hope of using this project to persuade my brother to surrender. Under the right circumstances, if the thotter found himself in a terrible spot, with no good options before him, while well, I thought the promise of relief might just draw him in the right direction. A less desperate than a more peaceful one. But as I say, my research has only just begun. And now... Well, get to it, Constance cried. You have a little time, right? Or even more if Milligan snatches their papers again. That trick isn't likely to work twice, said Mr. Benedict. At any rate, we cannot afford to dwell on those possibilities now, however grand they might have been to contemplate. The situation has changed, my dear. There is no more time. Our concern now must be what we know the Whisperer can do if it falls into the wrong hands. Gaines' hands are the wrong ones, I can verify that, said Milligan. He doesn't seem to be a spy for Curtin, but he has a lot of power and no judgment. A bad combination, said number two. He might as well be a spy, said Rhonda. If he succeeds in getting the Whisperer removed, he's doing exactly what Curtin would want. Because taking it out into the open makes it vulnerable, said Kate, remembering what Mr. Benedict had said earlier. Yes, said Rhonda. When we first moved the Whisperer here, right after your mission to the Institute, Curtin was on the run and could do nothing to intercept us. He had time to prepare now, though. He has spies, and he most certainly has a plan. I've been pressed to move the Whisperer before, said Mr. Benedict. Usually the monk building I suggest is a preferable location. As you know, I've maintained an office there, for reasons only those of us in this house are aware of. And the government has offered a secure additional space in the building for me. But it has been clear for some time what their real aim is to separate from me, the Whisperer. They've tried to use quiet measures, small steps. Now that all those have failed, they're prepared to take some extreme action. Who is they, said Constance. Certain well-placed officials of Mr. Benedict's. Some are likely spies for my brother, seeking a way to return his whisperer to him. Others are more interested in seeing what they can do with it themselves. And still others, such as poor Miss Argent, are hapless individuals caught up in the process, trying to do their jobs. Uncertain where their loyalties lie, and not quite up to the task of deciding. So what do we do now, asked Kate. Your lesson, said number two, checking her watch. The older children cried in protest, and Constance wrapped her arms tightly around her knees and hissed like an angry cat. "'Perhaps we can delay the lesson,' said Mr. Benedict, lying his hand on number two's arm. "'I know it's difficult to be kept in the dark. Naturally, I hate it myself. But you must understand that I cannot tell you everything, for in certain cases, ignorance is your greatest protection.' "'What can you tell us?' asked Rennie. "'How about these psychological motives and personal phobies that Mr. Gaines mentioned? The things you found useful, but the committee hasn't.' Mr. Benedict tapped his nose. That is something I can tell you about. In my opinion, my brother Lethandre's motivations are worth a great deal of consideration. 
Not just what he does, but why he does it. The better we know these things, the better we can predict his next move. And I believe my conversations with his former executives have been most instructive in this respect. I've wondered how instructive they could be, said Stiggy. We know Martinez wanted revenge against Mr. Kern for abandoning her, but she really didn't know much, did she? And Jackson and Joseph were executives a long time, but I can't imagine they've been very cooperative. Oh no, said Mr. Bendick with a chuckle. They have done their best to be obstructive, but in the process they have given away more than they realize. Most notably, they revealed that S. Cubidellian received far more sessions in the Whisperer than other executives did. The children frowned in surprise. They all knew from their mission to the Institute what these sessions were about. Mr. Kern had given them to his executives as a reward, which helped ensure their loyalty. And Rennie and Sticky in particular remembered all too well how happy the machine made you feel when you thought what it wanted you to think. What Mr. Kern wanted you to think. An effect it accomplished by suppressing your greatest fears. Even if you knew the truth about the Whisperer's darker purposes, as the boys had known, the feeling it gave you, that fleeting yet powerful illusion of well-being, left you yearning for more. Why would SQ get more sessions? Kate asked. He was already the most loyal executive in the bunch. Maybe he was loyal because of the extra sessions, Siggy suggested. But why would Mr. Curtin give them to him? Constance said. Why would he want to keep SQ around in the first place? That guy's about as smart as a lump of oatmeal. Poor fellow, it's not his fault, said Kate, and he's really kind-hearted, you know. I do know, said Constance, which makes me wonder even more why Mr. Curtin would want him. You are asking all the right questions, said Mr. Benedict, and I am making it your assignment to reflect upon the best to answer them. You must continue with your other lessons in the meantime, of course. Can't you tell us what you think, Sticky asked? Now where would be the fun in that, said Mr. Benedict, and he took up a folded slip of paper from his desk. As a compromise gesture, however, I composed a modest riddle that I believe to be pertinent. No doubt you'll soon have solved it. Oh, but please, pressed Kate, rising along with the other children, all straining for a glimpse of the riddle. If you think we can solve it so fast, then why must we wait? She trailed off, noting Mr. Benedict's raised eyebrows. A sure sign that she had missed something. She turned to Rennie, who shrugged resignedly, and said, The assignment isn't to find the best answer, remember? It's to reflect upon it. Mr. Benedict smiled. Sometimes the answer is only the beginning, as well as you know. Now I promise we'll discuss this again, but in the meantime, we must all turn to the other tasks. Lessons in your case, which reminds me. Mr. Benedict laced his fingers together and gazed in an encouraging way at Constance. Your friends have agreed to participate in a new exercise I've devised. I wonder if you would be willing yourself. I think you might enjoy this one. By the time Mr. Benedict had explained his idea, Constance was clapping her hands and bouncing in place, quite giddy with anticipation. The other children looked at one another and shifted uncomfortably. Wonderful, Mr. Benedict said. How about tomorrow, then? Mutual tells me as the necessary ingredients, and Milliken has agreed to secure the ice cream. So if tomorrow suits you, say, just after lunch? As soon as possible, Constance cried. Tomorrow it is, then, said Mr. Benedict. In the meantime, my friends, you'll have my Ritter to consider. And there, afternoon lessons, prompted number two, snatching the slip of paper before the children could grab it. And your afternoon lessons, Mr. Benedict agreed. So off you go. Thank mm-hmm. you.